0: All right, well, we are in Ezra, chapter 2, looking at those always fun genealogies, and we get um, a a list here that's actually duplicated over in Nehemiah, so we have that going on in a couple of different places. The uh, We'll talk about some of the comparisons of the list, and those of you that are joining us online, Daryl was able to get the new camera up and running, so you have the... Advantage of that and uh, always appreciate any comments as you notice some things going on with that. But last week we looked at how God stirred up Cyrus to restore Israel along with those that he stirred up to return. We took a look at other people in the Word of God that he had stirred up to do certain things. Of course, there are always those that he stirred but did not yield. So tonight we're going to take a look at those who were stirred to come back and make the return trip, and those who actually received the stirring. But we asked the question, why does the Bible include genealogies? First off, they're not all that interesting to read, a list of names of people, and not know their stories. So why don't we just skip over them? And I know sometimes we're reading them through, we probably do skip over them, or just kind of uh, uh, quickly read through some some parts of it. But is there something we can learn from a long list of names like this? And as I was looking back over things, I don't think I've ever actually taught from Ezra chapter two before. So this will be a, a first for me as well. Now this list that is given here of all these people, it can be divided into ten parts. Verse two is the is the uh, talking about the leaders of the group. Verses three through nineteen are the numbers of those of those who return. Arranged according to families. Verses 20 through 35 are the numbers of those who returned, arranged according to localities. Verses 36 through 39 are the numbers of the priests, arranged according to families. The numbers of the Levites, arranged similarly in verses 40 through 42. The families of the Nathanaim in verses 43 to 54. And the families of Solomon's servants, verses 55 through 57. The number of these last two classes together are in verse 58. And the account of those who would not show their, who could not show their genealogies is from 59 to 63. And then we hit a general summation in verse 64. So let's go over here to verse 1. Now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, every one to his own city. The people of the province, these are the people who were of Judah because Judah is now a province of the the Persians. It was a province of the Babylonians and now the Medes and the Persians had taken that kingdom over. So now it was a province of them. So don't let that throw you off. It's not referring to the area of Babylon or the uh, area of the Persians. It is the people of the province are the Jewish people. And then he goes on to say here that everyone would be going to their own city. Now it says that those who were carried away by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So this is referring to those who were taken away out of the uh, southern tribes, not the northern tribes. northern, Northern tribes were taken by Assyria and they were dispersed among nations. Babylon had carried them away to the region of Babylon. And there were some surrounding cities that they had also moved out to. But these are the ones that are being taken here. Now, the southern kingdom was made up mostly of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin with, of course, the Levites mixed in there. The other tribes were not represented real strongly there, but there were some who came from the northern tribes because they migrated down to the south. When Jeroboam had decided to change the worship. So everyone to his own city, those who were still alive after the 70 years would go back to the city they used to live in. Now that's probably gotta be a small number. How many people that were alive and would have a good memory are still around after 70 years? That could be a, a very small number of those who were there and now are returning. More than likely, It is the children. There's going to be a lot of children of those who were taken from the captivity. They described the homeland. They told stories of the homeland. All these kind of things were going on. And so they only have what is told to them as far as a memory is concerned. They have never actually seen this. So we have to... We have to assume that this is what most of the people are so they know what their city was. But many of these people have never seen the city. So they may have been of the city of Jerusalem, or they may may have been in the city of Bethlehem or one of the cities around Jerusalem. Jericho is one of the cities that is even mentioned. So they're going to go back to these particular cities where they had come from. Every man, every person, to their own city. Now Jerusalem is not the only site that's going to be occupied by these people that are returning. There are towns, there are cities that are in the nearby area, but again, the numbers are not all that big that are coming back, so they're not trying to populate the whole land, but we do know that Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon, Mitzpah, and Zanoah are all cities that were mentioned as going back. That comes from Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 2 through 19, and Nehemiah 7, 20 through 35. Now, why would the why would people return after seventy years? If you had been taken away from the land you were in, why would you return after seventy years? And anyone who is younger than seventy years has never been there, so the only life they know is the life they've had in Babylon. That's it. So, what is um? Why would people return after seventy years? Well, one thing that might get them to return is that things are not going well where they are. I'm not doing all that great here. I might as well try and go back there. Maybe that might work out better. Uh, my family or parents are going, and it won't be easy for me to stay here by myself. That could be what the the thing is. If they're a young child, or even if they're uh, they're older, maybe they're freshly married, maybe they just feel like we can't really make it in the city by ourselves, we'll go along with mom and dad and uh, tag along on this one. They still saw that as a better opportunity than what they had. Maybe there are some who are saying, I've been waiting for this day. You bet I'm going. They've heard about it. They knew that God was going to do this for them. They have been waiting for the day that this would happen, and they have no desire to stay in the land of Babylon. They want to head back over to to the city of Jerusalem or some of the surrounding areas there. Now, why would some people stay in Babylon? Well, some people may say, I'm just too old for a change. Maybe uh, 20 years ago, if this would have happened, all right. But now I'm just too old. That's a long journey. I think I have it in your outline somewhere, but the journey that they're going to be doing is around 900 miles. I had some people put it up at about a 1,000. The direct path is somewhere in um, 560, 570 somewhere in that neck neck of the woods. But when you got this big of a crowd, the way that they would normally go, and apparently that's not too uncommon for a large crowd to make their way out here, the way they would normally go would be about 900 miles because you have to go in through some of the valleys and some of the the ways that would just make it easier. So they may just say, I'm just too old to make the trip. I'm too old to make another change. That's a long journey. I don't want to leave what I have here. Maybe I've got a, a business, maybe it's not thriving, but I'm getting by. Maybe it is thriving. Maybe uh, you know this is this is a happening city. Babylon is a happening place. Uh, Jerusalem is all broken down. We're going down there to rebuild some things. There's not a whole lot happening there right now, but here we've got people coming through the city. We've got people dropping money here. I want to stay here and keep getting the things that I've had so far. I don't want to leave what I have here. So they're not going to go. It's a mess over there and we'll need a whole lot of work. I mean, that can discourage you. You ever gone shopping for a house? You're looking for a new house and you find one and it's just a mess inside. And you're thinking, "Mm, hmm, going to be a whole lot of work to get this house to work. I don't want to move here. Well, what about the whole city is broken down? And you got to rebuild the whole city. You got to rebuild the walls. You got to rebuild the houses. You got to rebuild the fields. Everything's got to go. Maybe some are saying, I just don't see the need to go. I don't see why we should have to go. Why do we have to leave here? I just don't see the need. And some may say, well, I just don't feel the call. You may feel the call of God to go and do that. I don't feel the call of God. I'm staying here. So in all, there's probably more reasons to stay in Babylon than there are reasons to go and to make the trip. Is it God's will that all should go? Is it God's will that all should go? So I pondered on this question for a while. It would, to me, it would seem to be that this is God's will for everybody to go. God had sent them all into captivity. And God said, I'm going to provide for you to be restored. But they have to answer the call. They have to be willing to walk away from what they have in Babylon in order to make the trek back to Jerusalem. And for a lot of them, they're making it sight unseen. I've never seen this place. I don't know that it's any better. Um, it sounded like it got pretty beat up and some of the people who come back from that way say, oh, uh, oh, the walls are still knocked down and uh, the city is still a shambles. So they're really having to, to go on faith here. But he gave the opportunity, he made it possible through the edict that was given through Cyrus, through the things that were being done. All of you can go, but not everybody went. Just kind of like salvation. God has made the way for all to go, but not everybody accepts it. Not everybody wants to make the trip. Not everybody wants to do the things that are necessary. Give up what I have to give up. Do what I have to do. Verse 2. Those who came with Zerubbabel were Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Raleigh, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rahum, and Bana, the number of the men of the people of Israel. Now, in the corresponding verse in Nehemiah, which is Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 7, the t- there are 12 names instead of 11. It seems that one had either had fallen off or was not included. And the 12 names are very similar. They're very close. Some of them are exact. Some of them are really uh, just a couple of letters different, which we often see in the, in the different accounts. Sometimes uh, uh, you have a different spelling of a, of a name. These kinds of things have happened before and that can go on again. But in the passage in Nehemiah chapter 7 we have a few names that are just a few letters different but there is one name that is not listed and that is Nahamani. Nahamani. He is not on the list in Ezra but he is in the list in Nehemiah. So we went from having the... Uh, One less in Ezra and one more in Nehemiah. And he seems to be the one who was left off of the other. Now the one in Nehemiah was written decades later. It was not written at the same same time. And there may have been some corrections. In the book of Ezra, they may have written who was going, who was leaving. On the way, you may have some people who died. Some people who didn't make it. And if some of those were the leaders... Then maybe somebody else was put in. Maybe he was, he was left off because he didn't, he didn't, uh, make the trip. Maybe somebody else took his place over in the other, other side. All these kind of things may have gone on. So when you have a list and they're still trying to compile the same list, they may have made some corrections. Maybe their list compiled the people who made it to the promised land and Ezra's list is those people who left and didn't, um, that may be some of the differences that were there. In chapter 3, let's pick up there. The people of Parash, 2,172. The people of Sephati, 372. The people of Ara, 775. The people of Pahath, Moab, of the people of Jeshua and of Joab, 2,812. The people of Elam, 1,254. The people of Zatu, 945 the people of Zakai 760 the people of Banai 642 the people of Babia Babai I'm sorry Babai 623 the people of Asgad 1222 the people of Adonikim. 666 the people of Bigvai 2056 the people of Adin 454 the people of Atar of Hezekiah, ninety-eight. The people of Bezai, three hundred and twenty-three. The people of Jura, one hundred and twelve. The people of Hashum, twelve hundred, I'm sorry, two hundred and twenty-three. The people of Gibar, ninety-five. Gibar should probably read their Gibeon. We are, of course, familiar with Gibeon. Uh, we're not real sure where Gibar is, but if you go over to the corresponding record in Nehemiah. That would be chapter 7 and verse 25. You will see it reads Gibeon. So more than likely that is supposed to be Gibeon. Then Ezra, let's see, pick, pick up at verse 21. The people of Bethlehem, 123. The people of the Toph, 56. The people of Anathoth, Anatoth, 128. The people of Azmaveth, 42. The people of Kirjath, Arim, Shephira, Emberoth. 743, the people of Ramah, Giba, 621, the men of Miqmas, 122, the men of Bethel and Ai, 223, the people of Nebo, 52, the people of Magbish, 156, the people of the other Elam, 1,254, the people of Harim, 320. The people of Lod, Hadid, Anal, 725. The people of Jericho, 345. The people of Sanaa, 3630. Now, you can tell from these regions, there's a whole lot more room in Jericho than just room for 345 people. That would tell you that more than likely, a lot of these people did not make it, did not come on the trip. The priests, the sons of... Uh, verse 36. The priests, the sons of Jediah, the house of... Jeshua, 973. The sons of Amir, 1,052. The sons of Pashur, 1,247. The sons of Harim, 1,017. These were four priestly families. These ones here are 36 through 39. These are four priestly families that went up with Zerubbabel. Of these, three traced their descendants to persons who had been heads of the priests uh, priestly courses in the reign of David. They're tracing their history back to the reign of David. And you got here uh, Jediah, Emir, and Hardin. And you'll find that in 1 Chronicles 24, 7-8 and verse 14. The other family had for founder a priest named Pashur who was not otherwise distinguished. He seems to be an undistinguished head, but that's who they traced it back to, so at least they had themselves going back into a priesthood family. But the other three go back to David's era. The Levites, the sons of, verse 40, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Kadmiel, the sons of Hodoviah, 74. The singers, sons of Asaph, 128. The sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atir, the sons of Taman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, and the sons of Shobai, 139 in all. Now, these are non-priestly Levites that we're listing here. They're divided into three classes. They're divided into the ordinary Levites. That's in verse 40. They're divided into the choral ones. That's in verse 41. And the gatekeepers in 42. These are the Levites. Of the singers, the children of Asaph are mentioned. It is remarkable, though, that there are no descendants of either Haman or Jaduthan. They took part in the return. They were very prominent ones in this particular line. Six families of the doorkeepers returned, three of which bear old names, those of Shalom, Taman, and Akub. We find them in First Chronicles 9 and verse 17, while the other three have names that are new. We haven't come upon those names in the, in the Chronicles or the records of the kings. And there are 139. The smallest of this in the two preceding numbers is kind of uh, amazing. The returning priests, those priests that returned for duty were 4,289. That's how many priests came back. The returning Levites of all the classes were no more than 341. If you go over to Nehemiah's account, he has that number at about 350. As I go through the word of God, it seems like there was more to be done by the Levites than there was by the priests. So you would need more Levites than you would priests. There are considerably less Levites than there are priests who made this trip. So it's possible that there is some jealousy going on between the priests and the Levites, much like in the days of Korah. You may remember the rebellion that came up in there because the Levites didn't like their job and, and then the, the priests are taking their job. And maybe that kind of a thing is going on here. The Levites are saying, yeah, you're going to put us out there. We're not going to be able to do anything important. So why should we go? We'll just stay here. We got a different job. We don't have to be Levites. We don't have to be in the priest line. We're over here. We're we're merchants. We're in the, in the different trades, whatever it might be. And so they feel like, why should we even go? And so there may have been those kind of things going on, and that's why there are so many more priests than there are Levites. But you can't just go out there and grab people and say, look, we Levites need some help. Uh, let's grab you because they have to be descendants of the Le- of of Levi. If they're not, then they can't be in the group. So that could have created some problems for them. Verse 43: Then the Sinim, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hashufa, the sons of Tabath, the sons of Kiras, the sons of Sayaha, and the sons of Padan, the sons of Lebanon, Lebanon. I'm sorry, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab. And the sons of Shammai, the sons of Henan, the sons of Gedil, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Rieah, and the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nekoda, the sons of Gazim, the sons of Uza, the sons of Peseah, the sons of Besai, the sons of Asna, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nephusim, and the sons of Bakbuk the sons of Hakufa, and the sons of her the sons of Bazlus, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkas, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tamah, the sons of Nazia, and the sons of Hatifa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai—I'm sorry, Sutai, the sons of Sefereth and the sons of Peruda. Now, the sons, the Solomon's servants. It is supposed that these folks are the remnant of the Canaanite population that was in Israel at the time of Solomon and he took them all and made them into servants or slaves. And they apparently kept that identity up even after the days of Solomon. It would be remarkable that even during the time of the um, uh, being, being taken captive that they still held on to this identity. But it seems that they did because we have them listed here and that some of them are making the trip back. That kind of surprises me. If uh if they're going back, are they going back as free people? Are they going back expecting to do the same role that they had done since Solomon's days? And I don't know. We have I have no idea what kind of things are going on with that. But if you want to see some places where this is, if you go to first Kings nine, twenty through twenty one, you will see some of the things. Talked about as far as Solomon's servants. Verse fifty-six: the sons of Jala, the sons of Darkan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Shephatai, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Porkereth, the sons of Zabaim, the sons of Ami. All the Nethinim and all the, and the children of Solomon's servants were three hundred and ninety-two. So these are the people who knew where they came from. These are the people who knew their ancestry. These are the people that could trace themselves back to a priestly line, to a Levitical line. They could trace themselves back to a family in Judah. They knew they were Israelites all this time that they were in captivity. They continued to maintain who they were. And then we pick up here in verse 59 of Ezra. And these were the ones who came up from Tel Melah, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adan and Amar, but they could not identify their father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel. Now, Telmala is probably Thelme of Ptolemy. It's a lower, it's a city of lower Babylonia, and it's situated in the salt tract near the Gulf, the Persian Gulf. Hence the name, which means Hill of Salt. So it is a town that is uh, just to the south of, of, uh, Babylon. Cherub is no doubt Ptolemies and I'll, I'll spell this for you C-H-I-R-I-P-H-A Cherifa which was in the same region. The other places here mentioned are unknown to us but probably belong to the same tract of country. And so people came from these regions they were not just in Babylon by themselves. They came from these regions came up to the group and then they made their, their trip. The uh, Tel- Harsah means hill of wood. Still don't know where that is, but that's what the name of it means. Hill of wood. You would imagine there were some forests and some things around the, that neck of the woods. Verse 60. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nekota. 652 are the sons of the priests, the sons of Hab- Habiah, the sons of Kaz, the sons of Barzilla, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzilla, the Gileadite, and who called by their name, and was called by their name, these sought their listings among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till the priest could consult with the Urim and the Thummim. This may sound like not a whole lot, but there's actually quite a bit packed inside of these of uh, just these couple of verses right here. First off, these folks cannot trace their lineage back to the uh, The appropriate place, some of the people that are in this list are priests. they say we are of the priestly line. They believe they are the priestly line. How many times we run into people who believe they are of certain descendants, certain things? Uh, I come from this particular group. I come from this particular group, and uh, I have this kind of blood in me, and we pass this thing off. Uh, I guess uh, who was that uh, that one politician who made it uh, kind of a laughing stock to to do, They claimed that they were Indian blood. I forgot what her name was. What was it? Elizabeth. There it was. Elizabeth Warren found out that she was, what, 1 942nd percentage or whatever. It was, Just a small bit of that in there. But she believed, at least she said she believed, she believed she was because of a picture on the wall and the high cheekbones of some grandmother, somebody there. That same thing can happen here. There's people here. They've been passed on. People have been telling them the stories of the homeland. Yeah, your grandfather was a priest. Yeah, your grandfather was a Levite. They were in the temple. They did these things. These people believed that they were priests. But when it came down to being able to prove it, they could not prove it. And they were not willing to go on any other thing. There's, of course, no DNA test back then. So you had to be able to, to show some kind of a proof. None of these people in this list were able to show the proof, but were still willing to make the, the trip. Can you imagine making a trip? to go back with the, the refugees, but you can't even prove that you are of the lineage of Israel. What kind of a place are you going to have in the society? You can't. If you're a priest, you can't be a priest. You've got to be something else. Now, they probably have been something else and they can continue to do whatever it is they have been doing because they surely were not priests and Levites in the town of Babylon. But they still came. They still sought the to be a part of this group. Even though the genealogies was was gone. Now they couldn't identify their father's house. They couldn't identify their genealogies. Whether they were of Israel is what it says. There's a couple of reasons for this. There's only 70 years that have transpired. From the time that they have left Israel. To the time that, of this day right here. It is not hard. To figure out 70 years worth of history. How many of you right now. Could go home and probably figure out. 70 years of genealogies you could probably go up and call up your mom and dad and say to them, hey, uh, give me some information on grandma and grandpa. If if the grandma and grandpa are still around, you could say, hey, give me some information on your parents. And now you can go back quite a, quite a bit of years. It's probably not hard for you to figure out 70, 75, 100 years worth of history in your own family just by talking to people and they can give you names. Well, so-and-so got married to so-and-so and they had so-and-so and you could fill out a genealogy for that. So more than likely, what we're looking at is that the records that they had brought were either not not uh, treated as very uh, valuable, and so they just were misplaced. They didn't uh, put a whole lot of value on it. They let them become destroyed. They didn't bring them. They didn't go and and bring all those records from the the other place. Maybe they had a fire in a house while the place was being attacked, and those particular documents got burned. They didn't have them to bring back. Whatever it might be, their documents that would have brought back their genealogies to whoever it is that they say they are of were lost. Because of what we know of the Jewish history and the way they were able to pass down things from generation to generation. If a person says, I'm of the lineage of so and so, they probably are. It is not very likely that they would that they would fake it. They're not trying to be in another family. They want to be in the family that they're in. There's a, a, a pride for them to to be able to do so. So they're not trying to fake something. But they're saying. Alright you may very well be. In that clan. May well be in that family. But we need to see the proof. And if you can't prove it. Especially for a priestly line. Well we, we can't let you do the priestly things. Then here at the end. It says this. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till the priest should, can, could consult with the Urim and the thuman. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, this is something, that he, it's just kind of slid right in here. But you remember what the Urim and the thuman is, it's, a, it's basically a 50-50. That you would put this before God and it was 50-50. If it came up, yes or no, that's really all it would do. And David used this very often and he would say, should I go up to the city? Yes or no. So you could do any kind of a question that you wanted to ask of God as long as it was yes or no. You could not ask for a editorial answer. You could not ask for anything great or uh, uh, involved. But you could say, should I do this? Should I not do this? And you would get a yes or a no. That was the human and the thuman. So the governor here is saying... We can't have you be in the priestly line until we can get a priest and the human and thuman and begin to ask God. God, can we let these folks into the priesthood? If he got a yes on the human and thuman, then they would say, all right, we can't prove that you have the right lineage. But we've asked God and God says, yes, you can be in there. So he knows your genealogy. And if he says it's okay, then we're okay to go with that. It never happened. What seems to have gone on here is that the gift that God gave the children of Israel in the human and thuman, which was to give you a yes or a no answer, was lost. It was lost in that the human and thuman were, were no longer there. It was lost because the priest could no longer perform that function and get an answer. Somehow it was lost because you don't hear of this thing coming up anymore. It seems to be gone now. In the New Testament, we still have the human and the Thuman, and it's in our spirit. And it's it's uh, Paul talks about it. Let the Spirit of God umpire. Let it be the let the peace of God umpire. Let the, the when the Spirit of God witnesses that peace to you, then you know yes, no. We can still go and get those yes and no answers. God, should I take this? And if you have a peace, yes. If you have no peace, no. <laughs> So we can still get that yes and no that they have with the human and the thuman. We just get it in a different way and we don't need a priest to administer it because we can administer it ourselves because we are all priests before God. So that's just kind of slipped in there and you may not, uh, may not see that, but it seems that they lost it. In their disobedience to God, this great gift that God had given them, they seem to have lost. They relied on it quite a bit. If you look back in the book of Kings and book of Chronicles, those kings that followed after God they used it a lot. I don't, I didn't go back and count it, but if you count the times that we have recorded that David used the human and the thuman, I can't even tell you how many times that he may have used it and it's just not in scripture, but it seemed like he really defaulted to that quite a bit and probably others did as well. But they still decide to make the trip and they're going to go along the way. Now the lack of proof of course will keep them away from some of the things. They're still making the trip anyway. Even some of the people they can't prove that they're Israelites. Well, if you can't prove that you're an Israelite, and you got this Israelite family over there, and they want to marry their daughter off, they want to marry their son off, and they say, "Well, you know, we're only marrying them off to another Israelite," and you can't prove that you are, so uh-uh. And that could be a, that could be a problem. But still, people decided that they would go. Now, how many also stayed back for the same for the same reason that well, I can't prove. That I am, uh, Israelite. I can't prove that I'm a Levite. I can't prove that I'm a priest. I know I am, but I can't prove it. So I'm just going to stay here. There's no sense in me going because I can't do the things that I would, I would want to do. Verse 64. The whole assembly together was 42,360. Now there, the people who left here were a much larger number than this. And then you compare that number that had gone into captivity. And with Babylon, there were two different captivities, 11 years apart. You compare those numbers to this 42,360. Beside their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337. So not, uh, there were some servants, not a whole lot of them, but there were some. And they had 200 men and women singers. But these numbers are low. And now look at verse 66. Their horses were 736. Let's take a look at this group. 42,360 people are coming out with 736 horses. That is not one per family. They, they don't have. It's kind of like a whole lot of people coming out without cars. They don't have the horse. There are mules, 245. 245. That's even less than the horses they have on the mules. There are camels, 435. You want camels for making this kind of a trip. They have 435. These are the things that are going to be carrying the stuff. And their are donkeys, 6,720. So we can see the emphasis here is on donkeys. Donkeys were the cheaper of the, of the group which tells us that more than likely the group that is coming along are poor. They don't have a whole lot of horses. They don't have a whole lot of mules. They don't have a whole lot of, uh, of livestock coming. Most of them, if you have anything, you got a donkey. Which means you're not real well off. So the people that are coming are the people who don't have a whole lot of money. So the whole f- assembly here is totaled at 42,360. Now, I'll give you some details on this. Ezra's numbers, as you detail it, as you count them up, all those numbers that we had in there, I didn't do this. Other people have done it. I've got other things to do in a day than add up numbers. If you add up all of Ezra's numbers, those numbers come to 29,818, not 42,360. So there are some people that are not on the list that did make the trip. They got counted in the number, but we don't have the, the, uh, the layout there of all that was all that uh, their families broke down to. Nehemiah's items, if you list all his, he gives a total of 31,089. So that's more than is in this one by a couple of thousand. But he still gives exactly the same number for the whole assembly, 42,360. Now there's an apocryphal book of Estrus and the E-S-D-R-A-S, Estrus, Uh, They give a total number, if you title up all the people that they say came back with them, 33,950, so a couple thousand more than we have in Nehemiah's list, which was a couple thousand more than we have in Ezra's list. But still, the total number they have coming out is 42,360. All three agree on the number that came out. All three differ in the numbers, how they uh, made up the the, uh, numbers before that. Now, the the apocryphal book, Estrus, also adds that the children under 12 are not counted. If you don't count the children under 12, and there are children under 12 in this group, that number probably goes over 50,000-something. So that is our group that is coming back in there to try and inhabit these cities and make these things uh, flourish again. But even the livestock are counted. Again, we're going for a journey of about 900 miles. Can you imagine making a 900-mile trip with no restaurants along the way, no grocery stores, no rest stops of any kind? I mean, talk about the planning. you got to plan out the water because you got to have the water for you and the livestock. And if you don't take enough water to get you to the next spot, there's no place to refill. You can't go out to the grocery store and buy some bottled water. That's not happening. You can't just stop and find food so you have to bring enough food to make it to the next place and then hopefully in the next place you can get replenished with the the food that you need which means you're carrying money alone in order to buy stuff there and you're going out in the wilderness and uh, I don't know how much protection they had but uh, that's a uh, that's quite a group that is there Maybe people just look at that group and say there's no way we're going to try and take on all them guys. Now, as I said, the direct distance from Babylon, I have the number here, it's 520. If you just drew a straight line, you can go Babylon to Jerusalem, 520 miles. But, of course, they had to go through a route by the Carchemish and the Arantes Valley. That's where they normally took armies. It's where they normally took large bodies of people. And all total would be about 900. There were some dangers that are alluded to in Ezra chapter 8. Verse 22 and verse 31, that's probably some of the dangers that they're talking about here. Verse 68, some of the heads of the father's house, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place. Some of the heads of the fathers, they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and they offered freely for the house of God to put, to build it and put it back up. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for their work, 61,000 gold drachmas 5,000 minas of silver and 100 priestly garments so the priest and the Levites some of the people the singers the gatekeepers the Nethinim dwelt in their cities and all Israel in their cities how many priests did we have come in? Four th- over 4,000 how many priestly garments have we, do we now have? one hundred how many th- can see a shortage? 100 priestly garments, over 4,000 priests. Now, of course, they could all just rotate and and uh, how many have you in service at a time. But the numbers that they give here, I'm not an expert on these numbers, but the people that are expert or the people that do the research to find this out, tell me that these numbers are low. Which again goes to the fact that the people who came are not the people who had money. The people who came... Are the people who had very little to leave behind? The people who had things to leave behind probably stayed and didn't make the trip. Because of the amount of, of things that are given here to the work compared to the number of people that came is not all that large. Now, the promise is God had given a promise for restoration of a united. In Israel, In Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 10, I want to read this for you. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. It does not use the term Judah, it uses the term Israel. He who scattered Israel, that would include the northern and the southern groups, that he would gather them and bring them back. Ezekiel eleven fifteen through seventeen Son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your countrymen, and all the house of Israel in its entirety, are those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them off cast them far off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. So I'm going to be a little, little sanctuary for you in the places where you're at. And when the time comes, I'm going to pull you out. Ezekiel 34, verse 27, then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield her increase. They sh- they shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. That is a promise that God had given through Ezekiel. This is uh, during the uh, captivity. Ezekiel was brought back in that first captivity. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. Amos chapter 9, verse 14, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. And they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. And I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. These are some of the promises that they had. These are some of the promises they would have read in their gatherings together when they were in the uh, land of Babylon. These are things that for some people... Would have built faith in them. For some people, it would have been they would have just been angry. Other people, they just completely disbelieved it. God's not going to do that. I don't see that God's doing that. But you're going to have that the same way we have it now. We have promises in the Word of God of things that are to come. Even the promise of the word in the Word of God about the rapture. You still have Christians who say there is no rapture. You still have Christians who say no, it's not going to happen. We're going to go through the tribulation to have all these things that we'll say, they had it back then. They had people who said, I know these are things in the scriptures, but I don't believe them. And for some of them, they may have said, because I don't believe them, I'm not making preparations. I'm not taking care of my genealogies. And when the thing actually became reality, and Cyrus said, the decree is made, you guys can go back to your homeland. You had people who didn't believe these scriptures and never put faith in them. And didn't make preparation for them. And so some of those still went back. Many of those may have just stayed in the land, so there's no sense in me going back. I didn't put faith in what God's promise was. I may as well just stay right here. They may have been very sad. We're in this land. We could have gone out of this land. We could have had children in our homeland. But instead, we are not. They had these promises that were there. Now, what's interesting about those promises is that that promise was for all Israel to be gathered. And all Israel had not been gathered at that point. It was mostly Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. But the promise was for all of them. And so many other things that were promised in there did not happen. They didn't have the one king. They didn't have a united land. They didn't have all those things for the north and the south. Even the time that Jesus, we came upon him with Jesus, we had the light area of Galilee, you had the area of Samaria, and you had the area of Judah. There were different areas that had not quite quite been there. So we're still looking for that promise to be coming. But they had that promise. It did come about to a degree. Those who managed to keep their records, they treated them as, as uh, sacred when they brought them from Jerusalem, when they brought them from their home cities. As they were moved around in captivity, they kept tabs of where these documents were. They could prove who they were, who they came from. They kept on recording them. As the as their time in Babylon went on and as other people were born, they kept recording them. They kept filling these things out. Why? Because we are looking to the day when we are brought back into Israel. Those things mean nothing to them in Babylon. But they will mean something if they are restored. So those who kept records, they did so as an act of faith in the promise. They heard the promise and they had an act of faith in it. Just like Joseph had an act of faith in the promise that we will be brought up from here. So he said, don't bury my bones. There was an act of faith in the promise. It could have been an act of obedience with or without faith. They may have just said, well, we've always kept track of these things. We've always kept these papers around. uh, So we're just going to keep on doing it. Because my parents did, and their parents did, and their parents did, and I don't necessarily think that anything is going to come from those promises, but I'm going to keep doing this because this is how we have been doing it. It may just be an act of obedience, or merely out of a habit of tradition. Whatever it was, some of these people kept it going, but some of them did not. Don't know what the percentage was for all these things, but some of them just did not. Now, doing this, some kept their, gee, their 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 records for who they came from. They were prepared for the day that it would come about. They were regardless of the reason, whether they did it in faith, whether they did it in obedience, whether they did it out of tradition, they still were prepared. You know, there's some things that we can do that may not be born of faith, but they're born to obedience in the Word of God, and it still keeps us in the place of being prepared. I may not have done it in preparation in. in because of the faith I had in what God promised but I did it out of obedience to his word and it still prepared me. There would be some of those people who just did it out of tradition. This is just the way we do things. And they were still prepared when the day came. Isn't it interesting that even the people who didn't do things necessarily in the area of faith still came out prepared. But there were those people who did that. Now we don't know all their stories. We don't know if something was destroyed beyond their ability to control it. It was burned. Their disobedience brought in that, all that destruction. Even if they would have listened to the prophets and surrendered, those things would have been preserved, but they did not. And some of those, some of those records were lost. Now, of the people that came up, you likely had those who clung to the ways, the old ways. They held them in high regard, the old ways. And you also have those who grew up away from Judah. They only know the land of Babylon. And they prefer the modern ways. So when you're going to bring a group back, you're going to have some people who prefer the old ways. To put it in line, how many times have you been in a church and you got one group of people and they prefer the hymns? Oh, I like the old hymns. Them whippersnappers are all singing them choruses. I don't get those choruses. I want those old hymns. And then you got the other ones, the more the younger set, they don't know the hymns. And they say, why do you sing those old things anymore? Said, they don't, they're no good. We ought to be singing the choruses. And we, we sing the choruses. Some of the new choruses, they have absolutely no basis in the Word of God at all. They have no faith. Uh, I was listening to, um, Fred Price was, was teaching, uh, listened to one of his this week. And he was talking about when he's in church, he says he hates being up on the stage. And I'm, I'm listening to him say that. I hate that too. Oh, I hate that too. Oh, I used to bug me some places you go and they put you up there on the stage. Oh, I did not like being up. No, no, no. Put me down there with the, in the, I don't If it has to be in the front row, that's fine. I'll be in the front row, but just don't put me up there on the stage. He said he hated to be up there in the front, in the stage. His reasonings were different. And he explained his reasons. phenomenal reasons. He said, because when I am in a new church, and when he gets an invitation, he goes to a new church and they are singing a song. He says, a lot of times they sing songs I don't know. And he says, I'm not singing no song I don't know. <laughs> he says, my words are important to me. And so he says, if don't look at me and I'm not singing. I'm just up there on stage. Who is this guy? What's he doing up there? He's not even worshiping. No, I'm listening, he says. He's listening to the song to see if he can agree with the song and put faith in it. And I thought, boy, that makes so much sense. <laughs> that just makes so much sense to, to do that. But you have uh, a lot of those courses that are coming along and they're not, they're not made. Oh, the, he gave this one example. He, he said, I used to love this song. Kumbaya. He used to love that song. But then he said, I was listening to the words and it's like, what? <laughs> and the words are terrible. And I don't remember what the words were. He was singing out some of those, those words. I don't know, one of those ones, come by here, Lord, or something like that. And what do you mean come by here? <laughs> Oh, he was having fun with it. But uh you'll have the same kind of a thing going on here. There are some people who look at the old ways. And they had regard for those old ways. And some of those old ways had been corrupted. Maybe some of the people who wanted some of the new ways were trying to strip out some of the corruption. Maybe some of the people, the younger people, wanted to bring in some of the things they saw in Babylon and bring that into the worship of Jehovah. Yeah, but I like it. When they had that temple... And they did that altar thing up there in the front. Uh, I mean, I know they were doing it to a false god and all, but I well, that, I really liked how they were doing this. Maybe, maybe we can bring that into the temple down in Jerusalem. And so there's this kind of thing going on. They're going to have people who want to do the more modern thing that's going on. This is the kind of battle that probably happened over there because some just love the tradition. They just ministered to them greatly because of the tradition and some just like some of the new things that were going on. Well, when we are among others, when we get among other people who believe like we do, it's easier to act in faith, it's easier to pray, it's easier to, have, easier to have a right confession, it's easier to stand for the principles that we know are principles in the Word of God, but when we get into the land of Babylon, when we get into a group of people who do not believe the same way we do, how strongly can we hold our identity? How much will we hold on to the things that the Word of God says are important? Or do we let them go? Now they, they stayed in the land of Babylon 70 years. Some people, that's all they knew was the land of Babylon. Few people knew both. How did they do for standing up with that? We see the stories of Daniel. We see the stories of Ezekiel. And we know that they were in the land of Babylon. But they did not let go of what they knew was important. They held on to it. But there are many people. We know the story of the fiery furnace. As far as we know, there's only three people who didn't bow. But there's a whole lot more Jews there. And they apparently have given in to those things. When we are in the land of Babylon, will we stand up and be people of God? Or will we give in to the pressures? Will we hang on to those things that are old? How many Christians today say, well, I know the Bible teaches this, but that's old. God needs to change. The things of God needs to change. We need to modernize the things of God. We need to make the things of God more appealing to those that are around us. It's not a new concept. It's not a new battle. It's a battle that they probably had very much going on down here as they were making the trip head back to Jerusalem. And even those who stayed back in the land. How do we do when we are in the land of Babylon? We don't need to be obnoxious about it and just throw our spirituality out there. But we need to make sure that we hang on to the things that we know are important. That we stay with things that I know God has said we ought to do. Don't let them go. Don't Don't fret about how people will receive you. What's most important is how do my God receive me. And when we have those promises in the Word and they have not quite come about yet, are we doing preparations? Are we making things ready so that when the promise does come, we are ready with whatever is necessary and whatever is needed. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank you for the example that you give us as you had a made a promise to Israel and how you would honor it. And some people took that promise and built faith on it and did things to get in line with it. Some people just did things to be obedient to what they've always been obedient to. Some people would just follow tradition, and some people just completely let it go, and we're not ready when the time came to make the trip back. They did not have their genealogies. Father, we want to make sure that we stay prepared for your promises coming about. That We have made preparation and we are ready. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.